We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, Sarah, so after the 2021 injury season from hell, this soundbite from Eric DaCosta at his end-of-season press conference last month was music to all of our ears. This is crazy, but we only have one player right now that's going to have an off-season surgery, which is a record for us. I'm, I can't talk who the player is, but that's unusual to say the least. I mean, Vinny knows, like, you know, with his experiences at the end of the year, you always have a bunch of guys that are having surgeries and cleanups and various things. We only have one guy. So that's, you know, if you're going to look for a real positive this year moving forward to the offseason program, that's a huge positive. Yeah, that was music to my ears. And two things with that clip. First off, EDC is correct. It is very, very unusual to have just one offseason surgery. Bobby, we know this. Football is a 100% injury rate sport. And it's about time this team got some good news in this arena. According to mangameslost.com, Baltimore was the most impacted by injuries in 2021 based on how many games were missed due to injury, weighted by the quality of the players that were missing. And then in 2022, thankfully, the Ravens went back to the middle of the pack. And to cap that off, with only one offseason surgery, the team is finally trending in the right direction. So that brings us to the second part of this clip that obviously we want to dive into, and that's Eric DaCosta leaving us with one big cliffhanger. Everyone wants to know which player needed off-season surgery. And Bobby, we feel like we've solved this mystery. There have been multiple social media posts over the last couple of days that feature rookie safety Kyle Hamilton wearing a sling on his arm. And Bobby, we like to make it clear on this show when we are speculating and when we are not. And I think we're both confident to say that Hamilton indeed had offseason football surgery. And I know that you had a conversation over the weekend that can kind of shed some light on this. Yeah. And Sarah, first and foremost, like out of respect for Kyle's privacy, I won't go too deep on this, kind of like Eric DaCosta chose not to either. But what I can tell you is that he did undergo offseason surgery, but that right arm is no longer in a sling at this current moment. He's back at Notre Dame this semester working on finishing his college degree and set to make a full recovery. So uh, obviously positives all around there, and I think we we certainly both agree that uh, after a rough beginning to his rookie year, he really bounced back and became a major, major contributor to Mike McDonald's defense. Yeah, he absolutely did, and so good for Kyle. I'm glad he got this kind of out of the way because that could mean – 
that maybe he'll be ready for mini camps or training camp. You know, like you said, Kyle did start slow his rookie year as the 14th overall selection, and then he just began to ascend and never stopped improving as a physical presence in the slot. He finished with 62 tackles, four tackles for loss, four pass breakups, two forced fumbles, and two sacks. And Bobby, he saved his best for last in the biggest moment of really the season, I guess more postseason, and that wildcard playoff game against the Cincinnati Bengals when he forced a fumble on who else? Hayden Hurst that led to a go-ahead Ravens field goal. See how much Hayden Hurst can get. Not much. Hit hard, solidly. Balls out. Kyle Hamilton with a hit. He may get the recovery, too. Two defenders there. Hamilton, the rookie out of Notre Dame with the hit. He had hands on it. The bottom of the pile. Let's see. And the Ravens have recovered. Baltimore ball. And as we know, Hamilton was also named to Pro Football Writers of America's all-rookie team. And if he continues on the same upward trajectory that we just witnessed in year one, year two is going to be scary. And then as for the team as a whole, it will be so nice to not have this long list of guys wondering if they'll be healthy enough to play in week one. Last year at this time, if we all remember, guys like Ronnie Stanley, Marlon Humphrey, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Marcus Peters, Tyus Bowser. Do I need to go on? There's many more. They were all using the offseason to rehab. This time around, it's just Kyle Hamilton that's going to have to rehab. And then everybody else, and hopefully including him, the team can hit the ground running once that week one season begins. All right, Bobby, in his debut media appearance as Baltimore's newest offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin did not disappoint. No, he certainly did not. And before you go slapping rose-colored glasses on us in this episode, right, you guys listening out there, just know we acknowledge it's literally February as we sit here and tape this, and there is a ton left to be determined regarding the coaching staff under Munkin, personnel changes and additions, and more so than anything else, developing a scheme that will ultimately work for Baltimore's strengths and weaknesses offensively. Now, with that said, I thought Munkin came across as prepared, polished, confident, and insightful, specifically when explaining his offensive philosophy. Players dictate style of play. They do. Players around the quarterback dictate a style of play. There's no way around it. When I was at Tampa, we had really good receivers. We had Deshaun, we had Mike Evans, we had Chris Godwin, we had Adam Humphreys, and we had O.J. Howard, and we had Cam Brate, and we had quarterbacks that loved to throw it sometimes to the other team, but they liked to throw it. But the reality is we were much better throwing it. So that's what you, right, that's where you play to, the strengths of who you have, right? We had to be good throwing it. Uh, we weren't nearly as adept running it. And we, I, needed, I needed to do a better job probably scheming it. Okay, so then you get in somewhere where you start losing some of your perimeter players. It's still about winning. So it's hard to judge because you don't know the roster. Does that make sense? Like, why are they doing the things they're doing offensively? Because it's still about winning. You have to do the things that give you the best chance to win every week. Um, but I do think that being able to use, I think players want to play in a game that spaces the field. I think when you go into an install meeting, all of your skilled players want to say, where are my opportunities coming? Where am I going to get a chance to touch the football and showcase my ability? And I think the more you're able to do that and utilize that, because to me, balance isn't run pass. Balance is make them cover all five of your guys, make them defend the field, make them defend, you know, the depth of the field. So I think it's all of those things easier said than done sometimes. 
based on personnel. But I think that's where players want to play. They see themselves in that. The game has gone that way. That's the way the college game has gone. That's what they're used to. They're not used to anymore being under center five-step drop. That doesn't exist. They're used to being in gun, RPOs, spreading the field, using space players. That's what they're used to. So I think that's the style they want to play. And so if you said, yeah, is that who we're going to be? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think that's got to be a part of what you do. Yeah, Bobby, to me, that answer that we just listened to was the soundbite that won so many fans over on Tuesday. That quote really resonated with at least people that were following me on Twitter, and it had them buzzing. Munkin found a way to explain this high-level view of offensive football in layman's terms, and he did so clearly and articulately. And it's no secret that under Greg Roman, Baltimore's passing attack lacked proper spacing, alignment, and overall rhythm. So it's refreshing to hear Munkin talk about his definition of balance and how it starts and ends with almost demanding your opponent to cover the entire field. And how about his six principles of winning when it comes to offensive football, Sarah? Like, listen to him rip these things off, almost as if they're just written right on the back of his hand. Good football still is surrounded by don't turn it over, be explosive, score touchdowns in the red zone, be good on third downs, don't have lost yardage plays, and athletic quarterbacks that make off-schedule plays. The rest of it just falls into that. That's the analytical part. How do we get to that model? Don't turn it over, and how are we explosive? I don't care if it's with a fullback, without a fullback. Four wide, three wide. My cousins at Army wanted to run a triple option. That works. Okay, now you can only run what you know. You can't just make stuff up. I mean, it's fun to do that, but it usually doesn't work. But the reality is, is that it's, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat, but still the, the principles of how you win are the same. Yeah, so that last one, quote, have an athletic QB who can make off-schedule plays. I mean, the Ravens have had exactly that and so much more under center the last five years, but being that Lamar Jackson's future remains uncertain in Baltimore, Munkin was asked if that fact influenced his decision to come to Baltimore? Well, okay, first of all, I count on Eric and John. They're best in the business. They're going to take care of anything that has to do with any player, not just Lamar. Sure, any player that's part of a roster where you're going into, you have an interest of what the roster is going to look like. But ultimately, I want to be someplace where structure, organization, great on defense from top to bottom, and everywhere I talked to and everybody I talked to, excuse me, said, you want to be you want to be a Baltimore Raven. You want to be a part of that organization moving forward. Yeah. Listening to that, I just feel like Munkin has a genuineness and a sincerity about him that really came through. Uh, not just in that part, but the entire press conference, which I think could bode well when it comes to his future communications with players. Uh, here he is when asked to describe Lamar's game. Elite. You know, he's got an elite skill set. I mean, it's obvious when you watch him on, on film. I mean, the things he can do with the football and the plays that he makes. And I think he's underrated as a passer. Maybe I, I think so in terms of his ability to make plays and throw it down the field. You've all seen it. I mean, I'm like you. I haven't, I mean, I'm no different than you. I watch what you guys watch, you know, and it's pretty amazing. Sarah, you mentioned it in our instant reaction episode on Tuesday afternoon, and I'll reiterate it now. All we want, all we really crave is a chance to see what Lamar is capable of doing outside of a Greg Roman-led offense. Is that too much to ask? I, I hope not, and I need to see what that looks like, too, specifically in Baltimore. And I need to see that 
with a legitimate wide receiver weapon around him. We need all this put together here in Baltimore. Well, here's hoping we get that chance, but I'll close with this. First off, go check out that Instant Reaction episode, number 187 in the archives for a meticulous, that's right, a meticulous breakdown of Munkin's entire presser with sound bites, with analysis, with reaction, all that good stuff. Secondly, based on social media reaction I've seen, Sarah, it seems to me Munkin pleasantly surprised a good portion of this fan base who, I don't know, maybe had been pulling for an Eric Bieniemy hire. And finally, I feel like Baltimore now has a play caller who is fully transparent and unapologetically himself. It's it's just refreshing and hopefully just what the doctor ordered on a number of levels moving forward. Still to come here on The Vault, how Odell Beckham Jr.'s name came up during Munkin's debut press conference. So, Sarah, Todd Munkin was asked about a player that, uh, well, you were pounding the tables, you were banging the drums, you were yelling at the top of your lungs all of last season, especially down the stretch, and that was one OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, and Munkin had a glowing report on OBJ after they spent one year together in Cleveland. That was that 2019 season, and Odell finished it with more than 1,000 yards. So here's what Munkin had to say. Can I, I don't even know the rules. Can I speak on it? Oh, so that I can speak on it. You can't speak on a guy that's under contract, right? Okay. I really like Odell. Odell, super athletic, twitchy, really likes football. I mean, I really did. You know, it didn't work out the year I was there, but ultimately he's like every skilled player. He's no different. I don't know why everybody gets pissed off. Like, he wants the ball. Well, Really? Like, I don't know where I've been where a great player didn't want the ball. I didn't know where a basketball player didn't want shots or a baseball player didn't want to get bat-bats. That's what they want. They want opportunities to showcase their ability. I think it's awesome. I think he's tremendously skilled, and, and I like his personality. He likes to compete. He has a tough deal, though, because he's a – he, in my opinion, and he may think differently, and he may – it's like it's tough being a, um, a face. Does that make sense? Like NBA deals with all the time, but there's very few NFL players outside of quarterbacks that they really know their face, that they're a, they're a market. They're, and he's that way, and I think that makes it hard. You know, at times when you're under the microscope like he is, it really is hard. But I, I liked Odell a lot, liked the skill set, liked his work ethic. He fought through an injury. Tremendous. So, Bobby, I found that soundbite to be eye-opening, and I don't mean that it's eye-opening about OBJ. We already know he's supremely talented. We already know that he's been a polarizing figure because he's vocal about wanting the ball. And as Munkin said, he's one of the few faces people recognize in, in football. So nothing for me was learned there on OBJ. Instead, I thought that comment was eye-opening about Munkin himself. And that's because to me, it was one of several comments that manifests Munkin's ability to look at this game through players' eyes. He's not defensive like some coordinators or he doesn't feel like this pressure like some coordinators about feeding skilled players the rock. Instead, he encourages it. He feeds into it. He loves that mentality. And Bobby, you played a clip in that first topic in which Munkin perfectly articulated the type of offense that players want to play in these days. He said he thinks about installing an offense in a way that all skill players, when they get it, they can see their opportunities to get the ball and score. He said he wants to get them in space, 
to let them show off what they can do. So this OBJ comment to me was just another example of how he understands his players. And Bobby, maybe that's the secret to his success that we all hear about, that he can design offenses around players rather than having one system and trying to fit players into that one scheme and philosophy. Yeah, I think that's extremely well said on a number of levels. And you know, Sarah, taking it a step further, we've talked recently in, in a couple of podcast episodes about Munkin potentially being able to turn around Baltimore's reputation for repelling veteran wide receivers. And you know, given that you were stumping for OBJ last year, are you hoping that he could potentially recruit him to Baltimore or where are you at with the prospect of that? Yeah, I mean, if you listened to me all last year, and I know you, that you know this too, that one of the reasons I was calling for OBJ last season was because I thought he would be affordable coming in late in the season and for a postseason run. So obviously that price tag will surely change now. It wouldn't be just a couple-week deal. He's going to be looking for a long-term deal. Now, especially now that he's healthy, his price will go up. And as much as Munkin could probably help in convincing him here, at the end of the day, the Ravens need cap space to sign somebody like OBJ. So no matter what Munkin could say, if there's no cap space, it's not going to happen. So the Ravens could get somebody like Odell if Lamar Jackson is either signed to a long-term deal or, you know, if he's traded. We don't want that, but that's one of the possibilities. So the Ravens won't be able to afford OBJ or anybody else if Lamar plays on the franchise tag. But if Baltimore does find a way to sign him, then I'm not just looking at the OBJ Munkin connection. I'm looking at the Mike Evans Munkin connection too. I'm also looking at DeAndre Hopkins. There's no major connection there, but I like Hopkins. There are plenty of options to consider early in this offseason, but it's almost not even worth seriously considering any of them until we know what's happening with Lamar. So, Sarah, there won't be any bigger news this NFL offseason than what happens with Lamar Jackson and his ongoing contract negotiations. And the crazy part is the fact that no one seems to know what's going on as it relates to the biggest news story in football. But enter ESPN analyst and former Ravens backup QB Robert Griffin III, who finds himself in a unique position as someone who has a great feel for Lamar, definitely more so than most talking heads do. Plus. He's also got sources inside the castle still. Yeah, that's well said. And that's why when he speaks on this topic, I tend to listen. So with the window for the Ravens to franchise Lamar currently open, RG3 broke down really just some news Wednesday. First, he said there is no way, no way in Hades that Baltimore will use the non-exclusive tag on Lamar. And then second, and this one I thought was very intriguing, RG3 revealed the Ravens negotiation strategy that they will be taking this offseason. And that strategy is to show a ton of patience because apparently they want to see what other quarterbacks that are coming up for new deals, they want to see what they're going to get. I've been told from people inside the building that they're willing to be patient with Lamar Jackson this offseason. And part of that patience, I believe, is using the exclusive franchise tag on him. As Jeff said, Lamar is worth way more than two first-round picks. So by putting that exclusive tag on him, yes, it might have them come to the negotiating table with $100 million guaranteed on the line. But I don't think that's really a problem for the Ravens. I think more so the issue is what does 
Deshaun Watson got in a fully guaranteed deal over the course of multiple, multiple years. I think that's really the snag right now between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Jeff Darlington also was very firm on the idea that the Ravens would use the exclusive tag and not the non-exclusive when ESPN analyst and Jets fan Mike Greenberg was trying to talk himself into believing that, yeah, New York could somehow lure Lamar out of Baltimore. I hate to do this, but I'm going to pour water all over. <laughs> no, this no. Fire. What are you pouring that because on? The yeah, why is he pouring is, Yeah, what's the problem? The problem is they're going to put the exclusive tag on him. Th- th- this is the very reason why the Ravens are going to put the, non- the exclusive on him. The second they put the non exclusive, you're going to have the Jets, maybe the Falcons, you're going to have teams clamoring to get Lamar Jackson. I can't believe that they don't essentially put that exclusive Then guarantee on. his money. I'm sorry, where, where, where did you just pour that water? Like, where, where did that wind up? It's all, it's... Yeah, I mean, I'm with Jeff and RG here. There's just no way the Ravens would risk losing Lamar with a non-exclusive tag without more control over what they'd get in return. He's worth more than two first-round picks. I think we can all agree, especially if both aren't even inside the top 10. But Sarah... I want to explore this offseason strategy that RG3 is saying the Ravens could take about just taking their time and being patient. This thing's been going on for two years now. Like, what's going to change the landscape of negotiations this offseason that hasn't already happened up to this point? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and and this is it. It's that this offseason could finally help solve the debate that's been holding up this whole deal. And this offseason, we will find out whether Deshaun Watson's fully guaranteed deal from Cleveland is either an outlier, which would hurt Lamar, or if it's the new trend, and that would hurt the Ravens. Here's RG3. If you're the Baltimore Ravens, you absolutely know that if you put the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson, there will be teams that come in and give him a fully guaranteed deal. They know that. That's why I don't think that they will give him the non-exclusive. But if you're also the Ravens, you want to wait it out and see what happens with Burrow and Herbert and all these other guys, because if they don't get guaranteed deals, then you go back to Lamar Mm -hmm. and you can say, look... Deshaun Watson is an outlier. No one will make the argument that Lamar Jackson is not a better player than Deshaun Watson, not a more accomplished player than Deshaun Watson. He's all of those things. Until someone else gets signed outside of Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, and Kyler Murray, ah, these men, group of young guys, they're going to determine whether or not the guaranteed deal is in the future for NFL players. That is the burden that is on yeah. Lamar right now. That's the right. burden that the NFL PA has on them helping represent him but at the end of the day if he gets to if teams get to offer him deals oh it's over he'll be gone because the Ravens won't I don't think they'll match a fully guaranteed deal over five six seven years and that right there is the double-edged sword for the Ravens if they patiently wait for these other deals to get done we'll for sure get the answer of whether fully guaranteed deals are a new reality of the NFL, and maybe the Ravens will win that bet. And even if they do at the same time, Lamar's overall value in a deal will only go up. I mean, it's exactly what Lewis Reddick said. The amount of money that quarterbacks like Joe Burrow is going to get, it is going to be stupid. And Steve Bashotti knows that. He's no dummy. He knows the next contract is always the biggest. And that right there tells you just how important it is to him to not cave and dole out a fully guaranteed deal. Absolutely. That's that's how much it means to Bashadi. And if you want to know how much it means to Lamar on the opposite side, 
listen to this news nugget that I've never heard before. I don't know that you have either, Bobby. I've never heard this before, but this is what Jeff Darlington dropped. You mentioned the fact that I was talking about this being the most fascinating negotiation I've covered. That goes back to last year. This isn't just about dollars and cents, a player trying to get his contract. This is about one of the most unique principled players that the NFL has ever seen. Last year, he was not even calling. He wasn't even returning calls from the GM to start negotiations. His feet were already in the ground. It was a guaranteed deal or nothing. I don't see that changing. And I know people say everybody changes eventually. Lamar Jackson is a different beast. And right now, if he gets that guaranteed contract, it sets into motion a new precedent in the NFL. No longer is it just one contract with Deshaun Watson. It is a trend with two. And Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert and every quarterback after them will be looking for the same thing. This is a pivotal moment in NFL contract. Bobby, that news right there that Darlington just put out there that Lamar didn't even return Ravens general manager Eric DeCosta's phone calls just to start negotiations. <laughs> I mean, just to start them. That really illuminates the line we've heard from EDC a few times already this season. That line is, it takes two to tango. Sheesh, you're not kidding. Not even returning phone calls to start things off. But okay, before we wrap things up, I promised that I'd share RG3's advice for Lamar Jackson this offseason. Now, Robert says that while the Ravens are willing to be patient, he doesn't think that Lamar can afford that patient waiting because it's his football career that's on the line. So there's a decision that needs to be made by Lamar, and RG3 says it needs to be made quickly. I believe Lamar Jackson has to make a decision on where he wants to be. Does he want to be in Baltimore? Because now he's got a new offensive coordinator and Todd Munkin coming in. He needs to be there in the offseason program to put in that offense and lead his guys. If he doesn't want to be in Baltimore because he doesn't believe that he's going to get what he deserves, which is a guaranteed contract or the money that he wants, then he should make the decision and say, hey, if you're going to tag me, I'm going to demand a trade because he needs to be he's going to have to learn a new offense one way or the other in Baltimore or somewhere else and he needs that process to start immediately so that he can put his best foot forward on the football field still to come here on the vault I'll catch you up to speed on several updates as it pertains to Baltimore's 2023 coaching staff we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
All right, Bobby, it was a busy Wednesday for the Ravens who made several announcements related to their 2023 coaching and support staff. Yeah, Sarah, and let's begin with what I feel is most notable. Baltimore has parted ways with longtime strength and conditioning coach Steve Saunders, who, let's be honest, he had really become a polarizing figure in recent years, beginning with his month-long suspension back in 2020 for violating the NFL's COVID-19 protocols at the time. And if you can recall, a massive internal virus outbreak ensued afterwards. But Saunders then found himself under fire a year later during the injury-riddled 2021 season. And then just this past December, without specifically mentioning his name, former Ravens defensive end Derek Wolf essentially blamed Saunders for derailing his career which ultimately led to his retirement. When I was doing everything I possibly could to get back on the field, I was two weeks away from getting back on the field. They put me in the weight room with that strength coach. I couldn't walk again. Couldn't walk. I was dragging my leg around again. After I got a stem cell, after I got stem cell therapy, I got epidurals on my back. I did everything I could to get back on the field. And then all they had to do was wait for two more weeks of me. And I was training. I was just doing my own program because his program didn't work for it. It just didn't work for me. I was an 11-year vet, 10-year vet, man. Like, I don't need that kind of... Like the crazy stuff you got going on here, like is not going to work for me. So that clip is courtesy of 104.3 The Fan in Denver, which you might remember we dedicated an entire episode to several months back uh, before the calendar flip, Sarah. Yeah, Bobby, I just have to ask here. Are you really not going to share the texting exchange you had with Derek right after this news broke? Come on, you got a you got a dish. All right, all right, I, I will. Uh, I did hit him up about it just in case. You know, he's a busy guy. He's living out in Colorado, so you never know. And I don't think he spends a ton of time on social media. But he just responded with this. This was it. Quote about time. Close quote. And that's enough said there. Yeah, agreed. That is definitely enough said there. No need to pile on here. So we will move on. And now we know that it is Scott Elliott who has served as assistant strength and conditioning coach the last four years. It is him who will take over in Saunders' absence. All right, now we both know there was more news than that. That was the most notable. What other moves were there, Bobby? Yeah, so for starters, T. Martin has been promoted to quarterbacks coach after two years coaching wide receivers in Baltimore. And we all know Martin is a former QB himself and a standout one at that, having won a BCS national championship with Tennessee back in 1998. And remember, he was also a candidate for the Indianapolis Colts offensive coordinator vacancy earlier this offseason. So he is getting looks around the league, and you get the sense it's only a matter of time for T. On the flip side, though, in an external hire, the Ravens named Willie Taggart as their running backs coach. The 46-year-old comes to Baltimore as a 24-year coaching veteran, having served as head coach for five Division I programs to date, Florida Atlantic, Florida State, Oregon, South Florida, and Western Kentucky. And the latter comes with a good story. Taggart was once recruited by Jim Harbaugh to play for Jim and John's father, Jack, at Western Kentucky. And Taggart went on to become the program's starting QB all four years. Those were 1995 to 98. And he ended up setting 11 school records highlighted by his 47 rushing touchdowns. Gee, so he's he's been around, and there is no shortage of stacked resumes on this 2023 staff. But, Bobby, any word on the coaches that Martin and Taggart are replacing? 
Uh, what about James Urban, who was the quarterback's coach, and then Craig Versteeg, who was the running back's coach? Yeah, so their names weren't included in the press release, so no news on those fronts just yet. Now, a wide receivers coach has yet to be named, but I would think pass game specialist Keith Williams would have to be a front runner for that opening should John Harbaugh want to promote from within, but uh, that's just me speculating, so time will tell on that final vacancy. Okay, Sarah, we invited former Georgia quarterback Hudson Mason inside the vault as this week's featured guest, and he was super insightful given his familiarity with New Ravens offensive coordinator Todd Munkin. Yeah, he really was, and I encourage everyone to go listen to that full episode because I had a hard time picking just one or two snippets to feature here in the morning vault, but I guess we'll start with this. Um, I had relayed to Hudson that fans in Baltimore were basically celebrating, kind of like they were today with Saunders news. <laughs> they were celebrating the news uh, that Ravens and Greg Roman were parting ways. So then I asked him, what was the reaction in Georgia when news hit that Munkin would be leaving them? Well, if Ravens fans were celebrating, I would say Georgia fans were grieving the loss of, of Todd Munkin. I think, in my opinion, he was the most important and impactful hire of Kirby Smart's era. Uh, at the University of Georgia. And defense has always been great under Kirby Smart since he's been here. The offense has not. And um, if you go back and kind of look at and study uh, previous hires that Kirby made uh, with different offensive coordinators, the offense was nowhere near as successful as as what they were really the last two years under Todd Munkin. And um, I think any Georgia fan that you sp- you speak with holds Todd Munkin in, in the highest regard. Uh, for what he's been able to do over the past two years with, yes, a really talented roster, but also a former quarterback in Stetson Bennett that uh, was a walk-on, you know, was not the most talented guy when he got to Georgia and was not the most talented guy in the building in the QB room when he left. And Todd Munkin just did a remarkable job of helping Stetson get better over three years, crafting an offense to his strengths. I mean, Kirby has a very – Coach Smart has a, has a reputation for at times being – Hard to work for. It's like Nick Saban, you know, demanding. Mm. Um, and I think Todd Munkin handled it uh, really well and uh, was able to put together an offense that fit his players' strengths, but also what his coach wanted to be about, which was um, being balanced and creating explosive plays through the air, uh, but also having this, like, physical nature, we're going to punch you in the mouth, and, and we're, the, the, the game is really still a line of scrimmage game. And uh, they, they just – I think what you saw over the last two years is – um, they were the most physical team in college football uh, the last two years. And I think that's why they got in certain games and they were able to win at a high level. Yeah, that's just really high praise there, top down. It doesn't get much better than that. And, you know, it would be nice three years from now, Sarah, that we're saying the same thing in Baltimore, right? That Todd mm-hmm. Munkin has been the best hire of John Harbaugh's career. And if that were the case, who knows? It'd probably mean the Ravens would go on to win a championship with Munkin like Georgia did with him in back-to-back seasons. But we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. Yeah, no, we just, it'd be nice if we could be saying the same thing. But, and it's just so interesting, Bobby, because as you know, there in the interview with me, I mean, Hudson's praise didn't stop there. It, it just, every question that we had, he just heaped more and more compliments on him. So finally, we just had to ask, you know, okay, look, Hudson, Munkin sounds like a great coordinator, a great play caller, a great mentor. He's a great developer of players. Uh, He helped you guys win back-to-back national championships, so we get it. But come on, 
There's got to be something, something that you don't like. We asked him, what is his weaknesses? I don't even want to call it a problem, but Georgia didn't use their receivers as much uh, as maybe other really explosive teams in college football. And uh, But that's that's kind of been a, it's hard, again, hard to say a problem because you're a two-time national champion. It's clearly not holding them back. But there's been some questions about why can't Georgia produce first-round draft picks at receiver, right? I mean, Alabama has Jerry Judy and Waddle and, and all these guys and Ruggs and um, and Devontae Smith and, and, and Georgia just went about things a little di- differently on offense. And I think that was more about Kirby Smart than it was Todd Munkin. Kirby is a defensive guy and um, I think at times was okay with playing great defense and winning by three points and walking out with a win. Uh, and so, again, I don't, I don't know if it's a problem or a, or a gripe, but in the NFL, you've and you've got to be able to create explosive plays, and uh, you got to be able to do it, especially through the pass game. And so Georgia never really had a receiver that was up for the Blitnikoff Award or led the SEC in passing. Um, and I don't mean to say that to say that Todd can't develop receivers or his offense isn't receiver friendly. Like I said, I think that was more probably of Georgia was up in a lot of games they played very early on. Um, they didn't really have to throw the ball to get back into games very rarely in the second half. So they weren't padding a lot of stats and the receivers didn't put up a lot of gaudy stats. So, um, that, that might be one thing that I think Georgia fans were always kind of wondering like, Hey, where's that? When's that next big time productive receiver going to come in and come out? But again, it's hard to, I feel very nitpicky saying that because when you win two national championships, it's like, (laughs) you know, something's working. All right, Bobby, let's outline the specifics of this Thursday ESPN report that made it abundantly clear that Lamar Jackson has countered multiple Ravens contract offers. Well, he counted it for more fully guaranteed money than Deshaun Watson. Yeah, so again, for starters, we know this may seem repetitive to some of you listening, but it is the reality of the situation the Ravens and Lamar find themselves in as we currently sit in the midst of the NFL's annual franchise tag designation time window, which runs through March 7th. But with that in mind, Sarah, let's revisit this Chris Mortensen contract report from September 2022. At the time, Mort wrote that Jackson turned down a five-year, $250 million contract that included $133 million guaranteed at signing. Of course, that's far less than Watson's deal, but more than the fully guaranteed figures awarded to Russell Wilson, who came in at $124 million, and Kyler Murray, who came in at $103.3 million last offseason. This we've known, right? We've known that, Sarah. But what we haven't known is this, as jointly written by Jamison Hensley and Jeremy Fowler. Quote, according to a source with knowledge of Jackson's contract negotiations, all of his counteroffers to the Ravens last year were for fully guaranteed contracts that exceeded that of Watson, close quote. Yeah, Bobby, that tells me that that report of the initial offer that we all quote all the time, there may have been a couple more offers after that. And that's that's what we're hearing here if Lamar has multiple counter offers. And earlier this week, we learned that Lamar didn't return Eric DaCosta's phone calls to start negotiations last year. So it's not surprising that they didn't come to agreement, but based on reactions I've seen on social media, all day on Thursday, the fact that Lamar's counter offers exceeded Watson 
was surprising to some of this fan base. And whether you are surprised or not, this all certainly is new information from what we think is credible reporting. And what else is new is that ESPN's Diana Rossini tweeted Thursday that while, yeah, Lamar represents himself and we all know that, she wrote he is, quote, not negotiating alone. She expended a little bit more on that while on air. The relationship at this point, look, I know he does a little bit of the Instagram stuff, but I, I think Lamar's handled this really well. And and I know he doesn't have an official agent, but the NFLPA, they, they're guiding him here. Yes, the absolutely. association is listening, helping him. And look, I don't know how they're guiding him. I don't know what they're saying. But they must be pretty supportive of him going after that guaranteed money because there hasn't been a lot of adjustment there because, look, a long-term deal would have been been done at this point. But the Baltimore Ravens, they are all in on, on Lamar Jackson, and Lamar wants to stay in Baltimore. He wants to be there. He's been really open about that. Yeah, so, Sarah, that checks out. The part about Lamar's involvement with the NFLPA, I mean, I know we both remember Eric DaCosta's sly remark under his breath, right, during his end-of-season press conference last month in which he basically stated, how proud he was that the specifics of this negotiation process has primarily been kept in-house, aside from one numbers leak put forth by the NFLPA. The moral of the story here is basically, while Lamar still doesn't and may never have a traditional agent representing him, that doesn't mean he isn't getting much-needed guidance elsewhere. And in this case, elsewhere is the NFLPA. Yeah, and Bobby, let's get back to this ESPN report from Hensley and Fowler. It was an extremely long piece, but can you just pick out something else that may have stood out to you? Yeah, just a couple other nuggets related to Lamar's specific wishes and the priorities that were involved throughout Baltimore's search for its next offensive coordinator. Of course, that's Todd Munkin now. Uh, I'll read one paragraph verbatim. Quote, the organization greatly respects Roman, whose Ravens were among the league's best rushing offenses from 2019 to 2022, but a passing game heavily reliant on tight ends and running backs ranked 27th or worse in NFL passing yards in three of Roman's four seasons as the play caller there. A team source said Jackson was not dissatisfied with the greater freedom and empowerment in the passing attack he experienced during that 42 to 38 loss to Miami. He went 21 of 29 passing 318 yards through the air and three touchdowns in week two. And a new coordinator might be able to give him that. Another team source added that since Jackson believes he can do anything with a football, it can be hard to gauge exactly what he wants, and suppressing his running ability would be foolish, close quote. Now, Sarah, according to ESPN sources who were directly involved in the coordinator search uh, within this piece, one major theme, which is a desire to further develop Lamar as a passer, came up time and time again throughout the process. And that's why Harbaugh, quote, felt offensive changes were necessary to try to get back to the Super Bowl, close quote. As we've covered in recent weeks, Todd Munkin has never shied away from throwing the football to win his team games. And if the Ravens can add pieces around Lamar this offseason via free agency or trade or, or the draft and number eight opts to play in Baltimore on the franchise tag in 2023, Munkin's philosophy could end up being exactly what the doctor ordered. And Bobby, that's a perfect segue because still to come here on The Vault, we're unpacking one of Todd Munkin's tendencies and talking tempo. (laughs) 
So, Sarah, we've covered Todd Munkin and what he could bring to the Ravens offense, but there is one new element that he's looking to bring to Baltimore that I know you feel like fell under the radar this week. What is it? Yeah, I did. not maybe it's because I personally missed it the first time around until other reporters in town pointed it out. And it's something Ravens fans complained a lot about the last few years. And that's how often the play clock would run down to zero. I mean, it often felt like the offense had to rush to the line of scrimmage under Greg Roman. And if they didn't quickly snap the ball off, either John Harbaugh would be forced to burn a timeout or a delay of game would be called. And so the hope is that Munkin can turn around that very frustrating trend. Now, at one point while introducing Munkin, Harbaugh was talking about Munkin's flexibility of running different systems and personnel groups. But then he added that the new OC can be flexible with tempo. Different kind of tempos, huddle, no huddle, real fast, controlled tempo, call plays at the line, don't call plays at the line. I mean, these are all things that you talk about things that he brings to the table that he's really, I just think, very versatile with. And that's going to be very valuable for us. You know, Sarah, you and I sat through countless press conferences with Greg Roman over the years where he was asked about clock management and picking up the tempo. And he did not hide the fact that he purposely kept things on the slower side. Yeah, I mean, specifically, I remember the last time he was asked, it was just in December. And he characterized his approach as a, quote, race to be in control. So he said on average, the Ravens offense snapped the ball about four seconds later than other NFL teams. And over the course of a 70 play game, that calculated out to be about four and a half to five minutes more of the game clock on the Ravens side, preventing the opposing offenses from even touching the ball at all. Roman called that a quote treasure. Yeah. And that is a legitimate strategy. That said, if there was any sort of hiccup, then they wasted timeouts or lost yards with penalties. And in that case, they lost control, and it happened just way too often. Way, way too often, Bobby. And it almost felt like there wasn't enough versatility to change things up when needed. And that's where Todd Munkin enters the picture. He seems to have a different philosophy. While he was telling reporters earlier this week about how the game has changed over the years, he emphasizes, we remember, creating space and using players' athleticism for more explosive plays. And then, then he talked about all the, this is the key word of the topic, he talked about having a fast tempo more often in today's game. Now it's utilizing um, athletic quarterbacks. The game has changed. It's changing from, you know, one time it was a taller, you know, pocket passer. So now you're seeing more shorter athletic players. The game has changed in terms of using their athleticism, using players' athleticism, what they what they bring to the table. Because the game is about space. It's about being explosive. Well, how do you create explosives? Well, part of it is creating space. So that's probably the biggest thing is how do you find a way to incorporate that uh, into your offense. I think also being no huddle, some tempo, um, what that provides. Because we were all no huddle. It's a little bit different then because of the the dynamics of a signal system and then, you know, the green dot to the quarterback. So you have to work through some of that. That'll take some working through, but um, just a, it's a speed bump, not a hurdle. 